This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. During the summer of 1860, a bookseller named Edward Mybridge traveled across the U.S. by stagecoach. He planned to reach New York City in time to catch a ship to Europe where he would purchase goods for his shop back in San Francisco. Mybridge had already been journeying for nearly a month, and he'd only made it to Northeast Texas. And the trip was anything but luxurious. The rickety carriage bumped and swayed over the steep and narrow mountain road. The road ahead seemed to wind into infinity. Still, the choppy journey seemed uneventful, until Mybridge heard a loud crack. The coach accelerated. None of the passengers could make out what was happening outside, but they knew they were reaching a dangerously high speed. Up front, the driver pressed the brakes with full force, only to find them useless. He yelled in frustration. Mybridge attempted to slash open the canvas and jump from the coach, hoping to escape before it crashed. But it was too late. The coach surged down the mountain and smashed into a tree, with Mybridge and the other passengers still inside. It broke into pieces upon impact. Nine days later, Mybridge woke up in a hospital, His doctor confirmed that he'd suffered a severe brain injury. He was lucky to be alive. But his miraculous recovery wasn't the last twist in Mybridge's journey. Despite having no training, he became a genius photographer. He completely innovated the field. But his brain injury didn't just give him a miraculous new skill set. It also transformed his personality, potentially making him a murderer. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. 
you can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our first episode on Sudden Savant Syndrome, a mysterious medical condition where a patient acquires extraordinary talents after severe trauma. Usually, the new skills are in a field the person had never previously studied. This week, we'll take a look at a few recorded cases of Sudden Savant Syndrome. We'll trace the patient's lives before their accidents, the specific injuries they suffered, and the amazing abilities they developed afterward. Next week, we'll explore theories about this mysterious condition. Some scientists believe that neural cells in the brain form new pathways after severe injuries. Other researchers suggest that these extraordinary skills were always dormant in the patient, but emerged after sudden trauma. Some even argue that these phenomena may be signs of reincarnation. Edward Mybridge wanted to be creative, but it always seemed like it wasn't in the cards for him. His father died when Edward was a teenager, and he was forced to drop out of school to work. He was only 13 when he joined the family business in 1843. Mybridge was a calm, rational man, and for a time was resigned to this fate. But he didn't want to waste his life doing uninteresting work forever. He wanted a career, a chance to flex his creative muscles. When Mybridge turned 22 in 1852, he left his life behind and headed to America. In New York City, he began selling British texts he brought with him and exporting American books back to his family in England. While Mybridge was fascinated with literature, he'd soon find another art form that captured his interest, photography. Mybridge was introduced to Silas T. Selleck, a successful photojournalist. Selleck let Mybridge play around with his camera, but to Mybridge's dismay, the results were extremely unimpressive. No matter what he did, he couldn't figure out how to handle the camera or how to train his eye for the best results. Mybridge failed over and over to make any impression as a photographer, so instead, he set aside his newfound interest. He stuck with what he knew. After all, he was a successful businessman. No one in their right mind would give up their flourishing company to start over in a profession that required years of experience and creative insight. So again, Mybridge made the rational decision and calmly gave up photography without seeking any formal training. But on the other hand, he could expand his company. And when Selleck relocated to San Francisco, Mybridge decided to follow him. He thought he'd find new markets among the immigrants in the West, many of whom had arrived in the wake of the gold rush. Upon settling in San Francisco, Mybridge opened a bookstore in the same building as Selleck's photo studio. 
But not only did he sell books, he also sold photo prints of landscapes and steel plate engravings. Business was so good that in five years' time, he was ready to increase his stock. In an era before online shopping or Amazon next-day shipping, that left Mybridge with one option, to personally travel to Europe and purchase more books. But it wouldn't be a quick or direct journey. He'd have to travel across the United States and sail from New York City to London. On July 2nd, 1860, Mybridge and six other passengers boarded a coach bound for St. Louis, Missouri. But on the 20th day of the journey, a fateful accident occurred in northeastern Texas. As the August 7th edition of the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin described it, On leaving the stable, the driver cracked his whip and the horses immediately started on a run. When they arrived at the brow of the mountain, the brakes were applied, but were found to be useless. In his efforts to stop the horses, the driver drove out of the road, and they came in collision with a tree, literally smashing the coach in pieces, killing one man, and injuring every other person on the stage to a greater or less extent. Nine days after the accident, Mybridge woke up from a coma in an Arkansas hospital. Initially, he had no memory of the crash and zero understanding of how he'd gotten there. In addition to memory loss, Mybridge also suffered from severe double vision. His inability to see made it difficult for him to stand up without losing his balance. As a result, he was in the hospital for two months. And just when things started to turn around for Mybridge, he began to suffer from seizures. He even lost his sense of taste and smell. Neural science was only in its infancy at this time. That meant his doctor's diagnosis was frustratingly vague. Mybridge had a brain injury. Since the physicians didn't know how to treat it, they released Mybridge as soon as he was able to walk on his own. At least now, he wouldn't be trapped in Arkansas anymore. Mybridge was similarly ignorant of the perils of his injuries. He had a business to run and a trip to finish, and he wouldn't even let severe head trauma stop him from reaching his destination. So Mybridge once again set off to Europe to buy goods for his store in San Francisco. Along the way, he continued to suffer from ongoing headaches, double vision, and seizures. But soon, Mybridge also began experiencing extreme mood swings. He started to notice drastic changes in his emotions, aggressiveness, possessiveness, and impulsivity he hadn't felt before. For example, during his trip to Europe, Mybridge apparently decided he didn't like the sound of his name. He began asking people to address him as Muggeridge, Mygridge, and Maybridge. He'd flit from identity to identity as if he couldn't quite make up his mind about who he was. When Mybridge finally returned to England, his family couldn't help but notice how much he'd changed. He was essentially a whole different person. The family sought help from Dr. William Gull, Queen Victoria's personal physician. Gull was at the top of his field, but even he was limited. The best treatment he could offer Mybridge was that he take up a hobby to try to manage his powerful emotions. 
when he didn't take to outdoor activities, Mybridge returned to his first love, photography. For five years, Mybridge used his camera as a sort of physical therapy. His sense of smell and taste eventually came back to him, but his mood swings continued. But the side effects weren't all negative. Mybridge experimented further with the art of photography and quickly taught himself the difficult technique of plate printing. This requires a work to be prepped with ink, exposed, and developed in under 15 minutes. An extremely difficult thing for someone who knew nothing about the craft, and someone who was plagued with double vision and seizures. But Mybridge defied his disability. He even went on to invent his own apparatus to make the plate printing process easier. His invention used less excess ink and saved the developer tons of time. With his idea patented, he managed to find a manufacturer and build the machine, which was then placed on display at the International Exhibition in London. His new personality traits also made him more daring. Six years after the accident in 1866, Mybridge decided to give photography a try professionally. He visited what is now Yosemite National Park and documented a pristine wilderness few people had ever seen. The images were sharp and crisp, and unlike anything that other photographers were doing at this time, most mid-19th century photography focused on soft and misty views, but Mybridge played with filters and focus to capture shadows and bright skies, cloud formations and jutting rocks, all without overexposing the film. This wasn't mere luck. Somehow, with no training or practice, Mybridge transformed from a man who could barely use a camera to a photographer who was inventing new art techniques. In the next five years, his celebrity increased. He became known for panoramic photos of San Francisco and Alaska. He was dubbed a savant, or a person who demonstrates exceptional skills in one specific field. But he's most famous for a collaboration with Leland Stanford, a railroad tycoon. Stanford challenged Mybridge to take photos of a racing horse in an attempt to prove that horses have all four of their feet suspended in the air at some point while running. Mybridge had never captured an animal in motion before, but he still rose to the challenge. He invented a high-speed shutter and placed 12 cameras along a racetrack where the horse would run. A decade before the first movie cameras were invented, Mybridge found a way to photograph several frames of the same movement, a series of shots that each captured another millisecond of the horse's run. Together, they proved that horses indeed could fly. Subsequently, Mybridge invented the Zoopraxiscope, a projector that displayed his still photos in quick succession. The running horse photos came together in what's considered the first film ever made. By 1871, Edward Mybridge only had five years photographic experience under his belt, but he was already a sensation. He enjoyed all that fame had to offer, including female admirers. 
He met Flora Schaltcross Stone, a 21-year-old shop girl, and soon married her. Unfortunately, their nuptial bliss didn't last long. Although a decade had passed since his head injury, Mybridge still suffered from mood swings, paranoia, and bouts of irrational anger. When his first child was born in 1874, his paranoia grew even worse. Only six months later, Mybridge found startling evidence that may have validated his neurosis. While visiting the home of the family's midwife, he uncovered a letter with a photograph. The photo was of his son, but had the words Little Harry written on the back. Mybridge's son wasn't named Harry. He was called Florado after his mother. After interrogating the midwife further, she produced missives exchanged between Flora Mybridge and Major Harry Larkins. The love letters included details of their romantic trysts while Mybridge was traveling for work. Worst of all, in the letters, Flora said that Larkins was the father of her baby. This revelation would have been shocking to anyone, but given Mybridge's ongoing problems with impulse control, he flew into a jealous rage. He wouldn't be content to divorce Flora. He was out for blood. On the night of October 17, 1874, Mybridge loaded his gun and went to the ranch house where Major Harry Larkins was staying. He pounded on the door. When Larkins came to the entrance, Mybridge said, Good evening. My name is Mybridge. I have a message for you from my wife. Then he fired. Larkins died immediately. The bullet went straight into his heart. Unshaken, Mybridge casually walked into the house and apologized for the disturbance. He sat and patiently waited for the police. When Mybridge was later tried for the murder, his attorney argued he was innocent by reason of insanity. Friends and colleagues testified that Mybridge had displayed significant changes in his personality and behaviors after the carriage accident. They had ample evidence of how the crash had changed him. The impulsivity, the amazing skills with the camera, and of course, the mood swings. The sympathetic jury returned a verdict of not guilty. All in all, Edward Mybridge's legacy was complicated. He was one of the most influential figures in photography and early motion pictures. He was a cold-blooded murderer. He was the victim of a tragic accident. During his lifetime, Mybridge's doctors never managed to explain how the trauma to his head had caused such a dramatic shift. Nor can they today. But it's not for lack of evidence. Since Mybridge's life and death, numerous sudden savants, as they're called, have displayed incredible abilities and shocking personality shifts after traumatic injuries. And each new case raises more questions than answers. Up next, we'll examine the little-understood symptoms of sudden savant syndrome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, back to the story. After injuring his head in a stagecoach accident in 1860, Edward Mybridge, a bookseller who never studied art, quickly became a prominent photographer with extraordinary skills. But 14 years later, this previously calm, rational man committed a violent crime of passion, a murder in cold blood. Both changes had doctors baffled. But they kept looking for answers. In 1887, Dr. J. Langdon Down was invited to give a prestigious lecture at the Medical Society of London. During the speech, he reflected on a special class of patients he'd observed throughout his 30 years as a physician. He presented 10 examples of idiot savants. These were people with intellectual disabilities who had special faculties like prodigious memory, musical talent, mathematical genius, or precise timekeeping skills. At that time, idiot was the official term for any person with an IQ under 25. The phrase idiot savant has since fallen into disuse, and today those same people are diagnosed with savant syndrome. But even with the new term, savants were astonishingly rare. It wasn't until early 2000 that researchers were able to divide savant syndrome into two categories, congenital savant syndrome and acquired or sudden savant syndrome. In most cases, congenital savant syndrome emerges in childhood. But in acquired savant cases, like Edward Mybridge's, incredible skills appear following injuries or diseases. Some dementia patients have even been known to demonstrate sudden savant syndrome. While parts of their brain deteriorate, others somehow overcompensate. The skills they develop often depend on which region of the brain is most affected. For example, dementia patients with degeneration on the left hemisphere of the brain tend to show more creative abilities. During a 1998 review, researchers identified five dementia patients who all developed sudden abilities. One of them was patient five, who enrolled in a drawing class, although he'd never had any interest in art before that. A few months later, his dementia worsened, but his drawing skills improved a great deal. He could no longer speak clearly, but he could create striking images of buildings he hadn't seen since he was a child. Thanks to studies like the one Patient 5 participated in, scientists have a better understanding of what savant syndrome looks like, even if they don't know how it's caused. For example, most savant skills fit into one of five general categories. First, music, usually piano performance. Savants can sometimes play beautiful melodies even without traditional training. Second, visual art, usually drawing, painting, or sculpting. 
Again, savants will show great skill even if they've never taken an art class before. Third, calendar calculating, or an innate sense of how time passes. Throw out any date, and a savant will tell you what day of the week it was. Fourth, mathematics. Savants often display skills at lightning calculating, meaning the ability to compute difficult equations in seconds. Finally, spatial skills. A savant can measure distances precisely without the help of a ruler or scale. They're also keen on memorizing maps and directions. But not all savants fit neatly into these categories. One of the reasons why Edward Mybridge is so famous is that his photographic skill doesn't coincide with any of the typical classifications. In addition, Mybridge was unique because he was able to master multiple fields. Usually, a savant will have a narrow skill set. But in addition to his photography, Mybridge suddenly became a talented engineer. He filmed the first motion picture and filed numerous patents for inventions, like new camera shutters and his plate printing machine. But sudden savant syndrome isn't always synonymous with artistic abilities. Other times, it presents as synesthesia, a neurological condition in which one of the senses is then joined by another. For example, someone with synesthesia may smell sounds, taste colors, or see words. One famous synesthetic sudden savant was Jason Paget. He was a 31-year-old futon salesman from Alaska. He had few ambitions and spent most of his free time partying and pursuing women. The night of September 13, 2002, felt no different. As usual, he was out at a bar with a friend. But as he was leaving, Jason was attacked by two men. They smashed the back of his head, robbed him, and left him bleeding in the parking lot. Jason was taken to the hospital where he was diagnosed with a concussion. Doctors simply gave him some pain medication and sent him home to recover. But it turned out he'd suffered something far more severe than a concussion. Jason developed severe PTSD. He was so afraid of the outside world, he nailed blankets over his window and sealed his door with foam. His paranoia quickly developed into OCD, and he developed habits like washing his hands obsessively to avoid germs. The condition became emotionally draining. When his daughter came to visit, he'd force her to take her shoes off and wash her hands before he'd even hug her or ask how she was. But much like Edward Mybridge, Jason's trauma came with a gift as well. One day during one of his repetitive washes, he saw something strange in the flowing water. It looked to Jason like the liquid was creating pixelated lines. Jason just couldn't get the vision out of his head, and he began to see other strange shapes too. The wind formed parabolic arcs. Beams of sunlight traced angles and parallel shapes. Everywhere he looked, he saw hidden lines and graphs, like the kind you'd use in high school geometry. Suddenly, the world seemed to be in perfect mathematical harmony. Jason wondered if he was going insane. He searched the internet for answers and came across the concept of fractals. Fractals are some of the most complicated geometric figures found in nature. 
They're a repetitive pattern that forms a larger version of itself. Look at snowflakes as an example. If you put a snowflake under a microscope, you'd see tiny ice crystals in the same shape as the large snowflake. Zoom in again, and those crystals are made of even smaller snowflakes, and so on, until infinity. But Jason wasn't looking at snowflakes under a microscope. He was seeing fractals everywhere. He tried to explain what he was experiencing to his family, but they couldn't follow the complicated mathematics. He realized the best way to show them was to draw these patterns by hand, which he did perfectly. Unfortunately, his drawings and explanations only confused his loved ones further. It seemed that Jason was alone in the world. Until around 2011, when he came across a Dr. Barrett Brogard, a cognitive neuroscientist with an interest in synesthesia. Jason found Dr. Brogard's contact information, and the pair soon spent hours on the phone talking about Jason's conditions. With an MRI scan, Barrett proved that Jason had acquired synesthesia. That explained why Jason saw the world as a series of mathematical formulae. Like Mybridge, Jason had acquired advanced knowledge seemingly overnight. But the pair differed in several key ways. Photography and fractal mathematics are incredibly different fields. And while Mybridge's injury gave him mood swings and murderous anger, Jason developed paranoia and OCD. These variations make it very difficult to find any kind of pattern among sudden savants. It doesn't help that there are so few documented cases. Some scientists estimate only 50 since the condition was defined. It's also still unknown why and how it happens to some people, but not others. The best conclusion we can come to is that most patients acquire sudden talents after some sort of brain damage. But even that general statement doesn't apply to all sudden savants. In 1994, Tony Sicoria became a musical savant after receiving a different kind of injury. Tony Sicoria was struck by lightning. And his case turned the entire study of sudden savant syndrome completely on its head. Up next, a fluke of nature creates a musical prodigy. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from 50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now, back to the story. 
Since 1887, when Dr. J. Langdon Down first coined the term savant, scientists have been trying to explain how brain injuries can give some people incredible abilities. But each time someone made a breakthrough, a baffling case would turn scientific understanding on its head. And few cases were as perplexing as that of 42-year-old Tony Sicoria. He had an ordinary childhood. He played sports, hung out with his friends, and liked to blast rock music. As an adult, he became an orthopedic surgeon. He was always focused on science, not art. That all changed on a peaceful afternoon in 1994. He was enjoying some family time by a lake. But as the day wore on, dark clouds appeared on the horizon. The wind picked up, and the air grew chilly. Realizing that heavy rain might be on the way, Tony found a payphone nearby to check in on his mother. It was already raining by the time he slid a quarter in the slot and dialed. After a quick call, Tony hung up the phone. In the next split second, Tony experienced something otherworldly. A flash of white light shot out from the phone, sending Tony flying backward out of the phone booth. He felt his consciousness leave, and suddenly he was floating in the air. He watched as if from a distance while a bystander performed CPR on his dying body. He was overwhelmed by a warm, bright light, making him feel peaceful and at ease. His whole life passed before his eyes. It was like everything he'd ever heard about how it feels to die. But Tony wasn't dead. The next thing he knew, he was back in his body and in excruciating pain. He couldn't move. He could barely speak. It took several minutes for him to even talk to his rescuers. His first words... It's okay. I'm a doctor. Somehow, in a matter of seconds, he felt better. Completely. When first responders arrived, he refused to go to emergency care. He preferred to consult with the specialists he knew personally. So as soon as he convinced the EMTs to release him, Tony drove home and then called his cardiologist. The cardiologist, in turn, was shocked by the story Tony told him. Based on the account he heard over the phone, he thought Tony was lucky to be alive. But he also supposed his patient was through the worst of it and wouldn't need a follow-up cardiological exam. To be on the safe side, Tony saw a neurologist the next week who performed an EEG as well as an MRI on him and found nothing was wrong. Since he was a doctor himself, Tony was inclined to trust their diagnoses but he couldn't shake a gut feeling that something was wrong. He forgot his loved one's names. He was tired all the time. There had to be an explanation, something his doctors just hadn't found yet. Two weeks later, his symptoms got weirder. He suddenly developed an irresistible urge to listen to classical music. Tony had barely even thought about classical music since he'd quit piano lessons at age seven. And even then, he'd quit because he wasn't particularly interested in it. But now, the draw was irresistible. Tony couldn't explain it, but he decided to trust his instincts and find some classical music. Tony had to drive an hour to the nearest record store. 
When he walked in, the first few notes of a Vladimir Ashkenazi piece hit him like a truck. He just had to learn how to play it. Luck was on his side. By some miracle, an acquaintance asked if she could store her piano at his house for a while. He agreed and took advantage of this situation. He bought piano guides for beginners and started teaching himself. Suddenly, he lived for those solo lessons. During the day, he thought about music and the progress he was making on the piano. At night, he dreamed of the great pieces he'd one day compose. In one such dream, Tony saw himself performing in a grand concert hall filled with a massive audience. He knew he wasn't playing someone else's songs, but his own. As the tune climaxed, he woke up with a gasp. He got out of bed immediately and headed for the piano. The melody was still echoing in his head, but when he put his pen to paper, he couldn't write it down. He'd never studied music closely enough to learn proper notation. And as he stretched his fingers across the piano, he realized he had no idea which notes matched up to which keys. The song continued in his head. Tony wanted more than anything to play it. Eventually, he went back to bed, but he knew he'd try to play again tomorrow and every day after. And very soon, he could play the music from his dreams perfectly. From then on, whenever he sat at a piano, music just came to him. Tony described it as though his mind could pick up a radio frequency. As long as he was tuned in, he heard an endless stream of music in his head and replicated it on the keys. Tony's obsession became fanatical. He would get up at four in the morning and play the piano until he had to go to work. When he got home at night, he would tuck his children in and then keep practicing until he'd nearly collapsed from exhaustion. He followed this routine like a faithful pilgrim, devoting himself to a god of music only he could hear. It interfered with his ability to live a normal life, and a decade after the lightning strike, his marriage came to an end. Tony's story closely mirrors those of Edward Mybridge and Jason Paget. Although he didn't share a traumatic brain injury with those men, he did develop an obsession, a sudden mastery of a strange field, and he lost a bit of his ability to get along with others and saw his marriage fall apart. All of these factors seem to fit together. Researchers just haven't quite figured out how. Some scientists hypothesize that it has to do with the brain's ability to recover from injury. When some neural cells die or are damaged, the other cells have to form new connections and work around them. With these new pathways come new abilities or more senses almost instantaneously. Others find it unlikely that any person could develop sudden advanced abilities with no formal training or practice. Instead, they believe these skills may be latent in certain people, half-remembered lessons from childhood that are buried in the recesses of our unconscious minds. If the brain is jarred hard enough, those old abilities will be unlocked and seem to appear out of nowhere. And still others maintain that there may be something more supernatural at play. 
Perhaps near-death experiences give individuals a glimpse of the divine and the ability to remember details from past lives. According to these theorists, sudden savant syndrome has nothing to do with the brain at all. Instead, savants are chosen by a higher power and can help humanity connect with beings on another plane. So is sudden savant syndrome a medical mystery just waiting to be solved? Or is it possible that there is something far more miraculous behind the subject's inexplicable gifts? Perhaps we all have an untapped secret genius living inside of us, just waiting to be unleashed. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with part two of Sudden Savant Syndrome. For more information on Sudden Savant Syndrome, amongst the many sources we used, we found the complete Edward Mybridge biography written by Stephen Herbert and A Bolt from the Blue by Oliver Sacks extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Yu Hao Chang, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. 